Welcome to the Braemar Life Skills Academy podcast. The world is changing faster than ever, and the world of education is too. Advances in psychology, biology, and a whole range of other fields have opened up new lines of thought about the purpose of school and how it can best serve a new generation of students. Join me on the Braemar Life Skills Academy podcast every week to explore these new ideas. Join us for our next episode, where I'm very excited to be joined by Mr. Dove Shapiro, CEO of ConnectU, an SEL assessment learning platform. Talk to him about teen mental health and how things like growth mindset and social emotional learning can address some of the maladies we're seeing today. Hey, Mike, it's nice to see you again, and thanks for inviting me to your podcast. I'm a former science teacher, experiential educator, and I used to own and operate a children's summer camp in New York State for 15 years. So I've been working with students for over 35 years in several different countries and continents. I think somewhere around 15,000 students is the number where I've been working with. And so when I sold my camp about five, six years ago now, I started doing some research on youth mental health uh, increases. So the rather the increases of anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, the growth of mental health challenges has been overwhelming educators for quite a long time. And as a youth services specialist, I've been privy to that, of course, in my 35 years working with kids. And so started doing some research to understand what was going on. And my wife and I started reading some really interesting articles about, unfortunately, suicide rates. Mm -hmm. And we were overwhelmed by what we were reading. And we decided we were going to launch, and we have since launched, a youth mental health awareness initiative called SEL360. And it's designed to help reduce the stigma associated with mental health and provide resources or excuse me <clears throat> and provide resources and support for adolescents and their families who are struggling with mental health problems while we were doing research on that project it was quite apparent that SEL or social emotional learning was an area in education that is becoming quite important it is part of the education reform movement and so I decided to further the research to understand what kind of SEL program we could potentially develop. And that's really how it started. And uh, it's been a few years of research and development, and now we're finally piloting with some schools. Awesome. Um, I mean, we couldn't be more thankful as educators for, for people like you who are asking these huge questions in this particular moment. Because though we, we assume that these problems have always been present um, and the availability of improvement in mental health and, and uh, upregulating uh, the types of mechanisms that improve your social-emotional learning, um, it seems, I think, for all involved that in the last perhaps even five to ten years, these issues, we talk about depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, um, et cetera, have become so much more prevalent. I, I'm going to jump right into the deep end here just because it's front of mind. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you have some insights uh, to, to credit this, what appears to be this, this pretty significant growth in, in these maladies that are afflicting especially teenagers these days? 
So based on the research that we've done prior to COVID, the increase in mental health challenges amongst youth, adolescents, and even adults has been in large part due to the use of technology. So if you look at students who are using the internet for, or smartphones for communicating with friends, family, using smartphones for access to all kinds of platforms where communication really changes the way youth connect with each other. Look at these relationships as an, one example. Some relationships end with a text. Some youth rarely ever speak with their friends. They text with their friends mm -hmm. or they use various applications that will allow the individual to post something perhaps inappropriate or hurtful, and then that post may be removed automatically through the system. So there's all these platforms that students are using that are changing the way that they interact with each other on so many different levels. And then factor in the fact that the amount of play is really changing. Students aren't getting out on their bikes and their skateboards and their rollerblades and, and going to parks and playing in, you know, in fields or in schoolyards as they used to when perhaps you and I grew up. We didn't have the technology in our hands that, you know, these companies have built. And so as a result, there's been a lack of social skills development and interpersonal skills development. And the soft skills that youth need in order to not only survive, but to be comfortable in their own skin. Hmm. So we, we've seen that change in, uh, in youth development, in their soft skills development over a period of time in the last couple of decades, and now completely exacerbated by the COVID pandemic. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's what the research is showing us. It's it's a sad reality and, and impactful that in the the course of the the episodes that we've done so far, this topic of the problematics of especially social media and smartphones, that easy access to social media, um, has come up probably with three or four different guests as the primary uh, threat to those soft skills and to the situatedness uh, of a student sure. at any given moment and uh, teenage students in their lives. Um, Funny enough, our most recent podcast featured three students from Germany who very quickly uh, spent about half an hour talking about the difference in the availability of unstructured play in their education beginnings, especially in their mm -hmm. primary school, their Hauptschule, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, and then what they experienced here, which uh, is when they play, it's so much more structured. And this was something that they were very, very thankful to have grown up with that type of unstructured play face-to-face, uh, -face, facing failure and challenge, recognizing the value of compromise, understanding how to design rules that include a, 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 an empathetic value set at their foundation, recognizing that the way to win a game is to be invited back to play the game again with the friends the next day and not necessarily to trounce right. everyone at, the, at this game that you've invented. Um, all of that, I think it's fairly easy to see the correlation between the skills developed in that setting and the types of skills that all the way through high school, university, and then into the job market are being uh, required of, of successful people. 
Um, I, I'd like to unpack, j- just for my own curiosity and for clarity, the connection between Connect Use SEL assessments and the CASEL Foundation. That's C-A-S-E-L. Um, CASEL was something that I was peripherally aware of through the early years of my teaching career. And it's something that my dad actually introduced me to. Dad was a, a spec ed uh, consultant in Waterloo Region for, for about 30 years. And I always kind of paid lip service to, to the, the notions they described. They focus especially on five core competencies. I, I know you're aware of all this stuff, but just for the listeners, um, they really, really emphasize the development of self-awareness, self-management, uh, awareness of others, relationships, and uh, finally, responsible decision-making. And they, and they yes. do all they can to give educators the tools to encourage uh, those core competencies in their classroom. Obviously, when you're talking about uh, the growth in uh, poor mental health outcomes since the advent of social media, and you focus on the, the radical shift in the type of relationships that our students are having, and, and the connections there, it's not difficult to see the value of an organization like Castle, who is, is really, really digging into not just the perceived subjective value of relationships, which I think we would all agree are quite important to our lives, uh, but also the neurobiology, right? The, the data in specific outcomes uh, for oh. things like self-awareness, awareness of others' relationships, et cetera. So how, ha- how has that... SEL focus played a role in the development of ConnectU. How has Castle informed uh, ConnectU's programming, and then in what ways do you perhaps diverge, uh, improve on, uh, or uh, otherwise approach SEL learning? So it's ironic that you asked the question about Castle because they were and <clears throat> still are a very influential aspect to the development of the Connect You program. And I've had several meetings with Castle prior to actually entering the, the D phase of R&D. And so while doing the research on Castle's data, we read that basically 27%, I think was the number, of students improve their academic performance at the end of the typical SEL programs, which they are approving. So there's a list of SEL approved programs through CASEL that schools can use. Uh, we are working towards getting on, on that list and understanding that um, about, I think it's a quarter of the students also improved social behaviors and lowered their levels of distress and anxiety. Mm -hmm. So we know it can lead to academic outcomes that improve. We know that the benefits are long-term and and they're global. And it's a wise financial investment for anyone or any educator to embark in an SEL program. So the long story short is because of the research that they've done over decades and the stats that they put out, the meta-analysis, we realized that there's a lot to learn from. And so we aligned our program very carefully to ensure that we did actually match with those core five frameworks that you earlier described, responsible decision-making, social awareness, et cetera, et cetera. And so when students go into our program, they first experience an assessment 
and then it's basically a questionnaire and students respond by uh, choosing an option on the Likert scale. So between very untrue of me to very true of me. And once they've responded, stakeholders like principals, teachers, educators, and yourself can learn very quickly which students might be um, more uh, susceptible to mental health problems, one, and where we can provide more intentional support for those students. And then the intervention is very well aligned with the CASEL frameworks of SEL because students are creating goals, both academic and personal goals, which really encourage them to be a little bit more social in their approach to goal setting. Mm -hmm. They're working with a goal buddy, they're working with teachers, they're working potentially with each other, depending on the types of goal that they're working on. Maybe a community-minded goal, as an example, gives them the opportunity to you know, do some community service work, which is getting them out of their comfort zone and getting them to interact with others on a social level. And so to go back to your question, we were really careful about how we designed this program so that we were aligning with those core frameworks to ensure that the students are going through an experience or an intervention in this case that would help to develop those soft skills that Castle is so adamant about and that are clearly lacking in today's youth. There's so much to unpack there, um, and I, I do want to spend a good amount of time today talking specifically about the how Connect You works and, and what we're seeing in terms of its uh, results in the lives of the students who participate. Um, before we do, though, it's important to recognize that the, the past couple of years have played uh, a unique role in, in how mental health outcomes have changed for youth and how we as educators have, have approached education. We have been forced to radically um, rethink our approaches as we go into things like blended and hybrid and asynchronous learning and not not that many of us are particularly pleased with it but that, but that as technology becomes so much more uh, prevalent in, in the interactions between teacher and student over these past years obviously with so many stay-at-home orders and, and mandates um, in that and, and even the ch kids sitting in classrooms distanced from one another uh, we've had to rely on on technology uh, even as we recognize that technology is playing a pretty fundamental role in negative outcomes uh, in terms of yeah. mental health. Uh, yeah. it, part of my role uh, involves receiving a ton of emails from newly developed or in progress uh, developing ed, what I call ed tech or, or education technology yeah. um, software and entrepreneurs. And this space, to my eyes, has just exploded um, in the past few years. Uh, yep. I first became aware of Connect You and, and first met yourself in a uh, in a webinar that you co-hosted uh, with a gentleman named, uh, I believe, Dr. Bruce Hayes, um, working with uh, in a very very similar role uh, with Vital Insight, doing more big data analysis and, and working more on the administrative side of things, whereas you're working mm -hmm. with students. But that was one of my first clues about some of the potential available in terms of um, collecting the, the, these. Uh, the, the type of data that you were just describing in terms of constructs. I want to ask you on a more personal level, um, as a, a ed tech entrepreneur, how have the last two years and maybe even before that gone for you? And, and what sort of responses are you seeing as you promote uh, this new, um, not 
tech-heavy, but certainly a tech-involved approach uh, to student health? It's been a tremendous ride. And I say that um, both positively and, um, and, and not so positively. Mm-hmm. The, the industry is growing substantially. I think they say ed tech is growing at a CAGR of 18%, and it's in the billions. And in North America, because SEL has been so heavily pro- promoted in the education reform movements, both in Canada and in the US, and there's so much more funding for these programs than ever before. And as a result, there is more entrepreneurial projects and ed tech companies that are popping up everywhere, inundating educators as well with you know all the different types of software and uh, apps and um, SEL type programs. It's a good word. So for it. it's been. I have felt sorry. It's a good word for it. I have felt uh, inundated. Yeah. Uh, with with options, yeah. and it, it can be difficult to to parse the the high quality such as yours from from the more perspective. I I agree. You know, it's it's like, but it's also in many ways, Mike, like very, like other industries are also struggling. Mm-hmm. They're to connect with people when the live in person conferences and workshops and events where vendors come out and talk to educators and show them what they're doing and wow them and hopefully you know close some deals or generate interest at least to follow up. Now we're relying on technology strictly until these conferences start opening up and they have been slowly. It, and so as, as we rely on these, uh, again, on, on Zoom meetings and on webinars and, and mass emails and tons and tons of phone calls, mm-hmm. it, it's, been a, it's been a very challenging time to connect with educators. One, educators prior to COVID were already overwhelmed and educators work very, very hard and they are frontline workers in my eyes. And they're in the trenches, they're working with kids and leading up to the crisis, students were already challenging to connect with. And I mean, really understand what their individual personality and their passions are all about because teachers have so much that they're responsible for. So now there's classroom management issues that are greater than they've ever experienced. There's more mental health issues. There are more problems going on at the home. And some of that, unfortunately, students take to the classroom. So a lot of teachers are telling me, not only do I have to teach math and geography and science and biology, but now I have to be somewhat of a therapist mm-hmm. to some of my students. That's right. And they're not trained for this for the most part. And they have mental health care practitioners in the schools and they're bringing in more, which is great. It's wonderful. But getting back to your question, it's been really challenging for not just myself, my colleagues in the industry are sharing uh, the very similar kind of sentiment that it's just been really tough to connect with those who would be interested and who could really benefit from programs like this. And so if you're relying on, when you rely on technology and a website and webinars and everything else to differentiate you from others, it becomes a little overwhelming for people because there's just, there's too much information. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I always recommend to anyone that if you really want to find a program, you know, 
pick five or six that you you've heard about or you read about and meet with the director or the owner or the CEO, do a demo. But um, yeah, it, it's been tough to make those connections. It really has been a challenge. Well, I mean, you're talking about teenagers' difficulties having these healthy face-to-face -face relationships and, and the, the types of skills that are born out of that dynamic. You really do notice its absence in, in the past mm. few years. Like I, sometimes I feel like I'm sitting in a in a panopticon when I'm in my office, and obviously I have all these you know digital uh, connections extending every direction, but it, it can be quite alienating. And yeah. uh, as as appreciative as I am for relationships like the one uh, that I formed with you, you and I have had at this point dozens of conversations. Uh, I've gotten to know each other not just as as professionals but as people. Um, but I have never shook your hand. I, I, yeah. I've never stood next to you and met you. I, I don't know how tall you are, for example. Um, five, five foot eight, 170 pounds. Very stocky. <laughs> okay, important information going out to the listeners there. Um, I mean, I, I just, I heard you say, I think I, I learned something about you today. You said uh, 35 years in education. Yeah. And my immediate thought was, holy smokes, did this guy start teaching when he was like 10 years old or something? Because I, <laughs> in our relationship, which has been entirely digital, I have, I've put you in your early 40s, maybe. Um, you're obviously a man who takes very good care of himself. But there's I'm 53. Some, yeah, that's remarkable. Uh, I never would have guessed that. Um, Thank you. Well, let, let me just go off on a little bit of a tangent there because... Um, as you just described, you've spent these the past couple of years developing this this company and this idea, um, largely in absence of those those physical contacts and those in person relationships. And yet, every one of my interactions with you has been uh, positive, affirming, um, encouraging, and and as, as caused evolution in my approach. Uh, you have remained remarkably positive in almost all of our interactions. How are you keeping yourself? healthy and well and motivated and positive during this time? I would have to contribute most of it to my wife, hmm. who is the absolute love of my life. She's a naturopathic doctor and an Ayurvedic practitioner. Ayurveda, for those who may not know, is one of the oldest forms of medicine around the world. And so, she, you know, she's got uh, just a great approach to life. And we, together, we, we make a great team. Um, I'm very physically active as well. Um, I'm very young at heart. And so, and what really motivates me, Mike, and I, to, to be 100% transparent here, is not the, the money behind the business. It's the impact that what we do can help change and help improve the well-being of students because SEL is shown to reduce anxiety, uh, develop confidence, develop resilience, and improve well-being. And that's what gets my juices going. That's what motivates me. As, an, as a former educator, I could work with spoon, students Excuse me, in class. As a former camp director, I would work with my campers sometimes one-on-one. -on -one. I would teach them an activity. I would teach them water skiing or go rock climbing with them or talk to them about what's going on in their lives. If they were homesick, take care of them. If they were physically ill, take care of them. So, you know, I always wanted to be a leader for youth, an advocate for youth. And so what we do now really helps students on a global level based on pro schools that use our program around the world, 
And so that's what really gets me going, knowing that what we do can make a positive impact for you. I love it. Um, and I hope that uh, I can say the same and, and that I can have the, the impact that, that you are, you have had and are continuing to have in the future. Um, I love the idea of expanding what I might call concentric spheres of influence. And mm. when we talk about getting a young person to a stage where they are resilient, anti-fragile, self-aware, um, recognizing their lives, the importance of relationships and, and have built those support networks around them. Uh, we're talking about, you know, to use a hackneyed metaphor, uh, the seed and the seed starts self-contained. And then depending on the quality of the soil around it, let's say the community around it, the support system around it, it can grow into something that then begins to provide for the entire ecosystem around it. I think when we ask what is education for, that answer needs to be given more often, that we're, we're trying to create people who are going to continue to expand their concentric spheres of positive influence in exactly the way that you've just described, right? You've taken care of yourself. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, uh, sorry to cut you off. And, and that, in fact, mirrors what SEL is really all about. Social-emotional learning is designed, in part, to be integrated not just in the classroom, it's designed to be integrated throughout the school culture. It's also most beneficial when it's integrated into the home in some aspect and the community. And that 360 degree approach is really how SEL makes the greatest impact short term and long term. Mm -hmm. At least that's what the research shows. You look at the, the meta analysis on this data and it's it's just incredible how impactful the uh, these programs can be. Yeah. And that's really what is going to help those students build the life learning skills that they need when they enter the uh, the world of searching for jobs and, you know, working in large groups or working in teams. Yeah. For sure. I mean, in a world where we're hearing so often now that the, the major uh, business sectors are, are looking for those collaborative, creative critical thinking skills. I often hear those three C's. Uh, SEL seems specially aimed at creating uh, young people, not just who are going to possess that as they leave high school, but who are going to continue to dynamically add to those skills and, and really become these, not just lifelong learners, but full people, full people who, who have that, that influence on the community. Um, and prior to entering the job market, if we take a step back, now look at the college admissions. Mm. College admissions counselors from those that I speak with, and I speak to a lot of them, they tell me that they are looking for a different kind of education resume than ever before. They no longer, in part, look solely at the GPA. They're not just looking at the grades. They're looking for a really well-balanced resume before approving or accepting a student who's graduated high school, they're not only looking for great grades, they're looking for their community service records. They want to see that these students have some kind of empathy or that they've been involved in some kind of social club or social activities that are outside of the school and not just focusing on getting good grades, but also doing things for community that's going to make an impact and involved in activity that's going to balance their personality and their character 
so that when they do enter that college or university, that they are well prepared to work in teams and will be better prepared for when they enter the job market to actually work in an environment that is uh, potentially really integrative in integrating with uh, with fellow workers. Yeah. You know, if you're just doing something on your own, that's that's one thing. But more often than not, we're working in teams and it's really essential for us to have those social skills, interpersonal skills and confidence and the resilience to work together and overcome whatever those challenges are. And I think admit school administrators get that, which is why the admissions officers are now looking at things that are not just focusing on GPA. Yeah, um, you hit the nail on the head. But what, the thing that really, really excites me every day when I come into work is that I feel like I'm in an education environment and just an era in education where the definition of success is in the process of, of just blowing up, just ex expanding dramatically in all directions, and that we have so many more routes, so many more terms, so many more resources with which to encourage growth in students, whereas perhaps in the past, the definition of success was so narrow that we really we, we had a few tools at our disposal to get a student to that one definition, right? Mm -hmm. um, at Braemar, we, we, uh, we've really, really, in the past couple of years, um, put as much of our energy and our efforts into emphasizing community engagement, especially as possible. We're thankful that the, the Ontario Ministry of Education um, requires 40 hours or 10 hours per year of community involvement uh, from all students in an Ontario high school, and they won't receive a diploma without that. So we're, we're kind of given the the stick in the in the carrot and stick uh, motivation dynamic, or we're, we're given the, the push uh, motivation. But what we've found, certainly what I've experienced in the past couple of years working with these students at the various community uh, organizations that, that host our volunteers, is that the pull motivations, the carrot, is so much more powerful as soon as they've had that one experience, giving their time, usually with their friends, hopefully in, in a, an organization that is observable, that's directly observable in the immediate community. Um, that first time, they get that feeling. That, that feeling that comes after an empath empathetic act or after an act of service for, for another. And these students so quickly become the engine of our volunteer programs and our student clubs. Right? We're mm -hmm. to, literally tomorrow, we're, we're taking our end of year uh, student leader camp retreat. And we're taking 25 of our students up to the beautiful Muskokas for three days. And they are told explicitly, this is in recognition, not just of the responsibilities you've taken in the classroom, your academic success, but equally your volunteer involvement, your contributions to the positive culture of our school, right? Have you reached out to a student from another ethnicity and made them feel comfortable here, right? Have you, have you gone out of your way to be a group leader in the classroom? Uh, have you identified a need in our community that we might be able to address. And you see it in their faces, you see it in their grades, you see it in, in their energy levels as they go through the hallways. This type of expansive definition of success frees them to access a greater authenticity. And that's why I got so excited when I heard about Connect You. That's why it's been so, such a pleasure working with you and seeing it begin to work in the lives of our students. Because I was a teacher in the before times, in the, in the before COVID times for five years, and some of these tools weren't readily available. And when they were, again, it was, it was mostly push motivation. It was mostly the stick. But yeah. um, that, that, that is happily 
I think, changing very, very quickly. Thanks in no small part to people like you. Um, That's I wanna, great to hear. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk specifically about Connect U. We've been, uh, I believe, one of the first schools to integrate Connect U into our uh, extracurricular programming. Um, I won't say too much about how we've been using it. Uh, we've, we've had it for three terms here at Braemar, so we've had three cohorts move through. We're just about to uh, do our end-of-year SEL assessment for our students, but can you talk us through what a, the average uh, ConnectU program looks like uh, over the course of a semester or even over the course of a year in any given school? Uh, can you clarify the, the question, meaning like, like what are you, what, what specifically would you like to know? Sure. Um, yeah. I'm an educator who's interested in expanding, uh, social emotional learning in my school. I have a mm. bit of contact. Maybe I've read an SE or a castle article, or, or maybe I've seen a, a webinar advertised by Dove Shapiro. Um, and so you and I make contact, we bring, uh, the connect you program in and, a cohort of my students will go through the two elements of the, the Connect You program, one being a full social-emotional learning assessment, which will result in a number of constructs. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw an example of those constructs up on the, the Zoom screen in just a minute. Um, and then following that assessment, these students will move into uh, a six-part CU Smart um, lesson series focused on SMART, S-M-A-R-T, planning. Um, can you just dig into the details of the, the SEL assessment and then talk a bit sure. about that, that six part series? Sure. So thanks for clarifying. Sure. The program starts with the assessment, which is actually a proprietary psychometric tool, which is designed to do assessment on 13 constructs or character traits. So a psychometric tool is just a fancy word for an assessment or a survey. And so once students respond to the questions for the assessment, the stakeholders, uh, such as yourself and principals, can see the levels of creativity, cross-cultural proficiency, empathy, confidence, etc., through the data that Mike is displaying right now. Mm -hmm. And just for clarity's purpose, I'm, I'm just going to roll through them really quickly. This would be an example yeah. of a, a single cohort's result from their first SEL assessment across the, the constructs that Dove was just uh, describing. So I'll just show those off to the side, but please continue. Yeah. And so you know, once students have uh, gone through this assessment, this becomes the start of a key performance indicator for the schools, which means when they take the assessment the second time, we see where there's growth and development or perhaps a decline in the individual constructs. And as well, it becomes a tool to identify students that could really benefit from more intentional learning, more supportive environments. So that's one of the two parts. Mm -hmm. The second is the intervention. So we teach students how to create and achieve goals. So according to goal theory, we know that students who create and achieve challenging academic and personal goals consistently throughout the year develop confidence and resilience and therefore improve their well-being and that's the premise behind the connect you program mm -hmm. so students are introduced to an acronym 
to teach them how to create those goals. And it's called SMART, which means specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and timely. And so our teachers use this blended learning solution, we call it, where they teach in part a classroom, which is about 45 minutes to an hour. And they use some 2D animated videos that we've produced in conjunction and at times other resource documents to support the curriculum that they're teaching. And at the end of the very first lesson, students start creating their goals in a web app where the data is housed and all of their goals and all of their action items. So there's accountability for the student or between the student and the teacher to create and achieve and teachers can quickly monitor all of those goals and action items through their dashboard to determine where they may need to support a student who might be struggling. And then there is a buddy system. So it's called a goal buddy or accountability partner. Mm -hmm. And that's a second layer of accountability where when the student has a goal buddy who's 21 or older, they are accountable for all of their goals with their goal buddy. So accountability increases the opportunity to not only uh, achieve your goals, but also to be influenced, to be creative with them, to be timely with them, and to challenge the individual student. Because you can always create very easy goals, but if you have accountability, hopefully that accountability partner, that teacher, is encouraging their students to choose goals that are a little bit more challenging for their students. And so that's the basic premise behind what the Connect You program is really all about. Students go through this curriculum for six weeks, and then at the end of either the six weeks or their semester or their session, then they take assess their assessment for a second time. And then that's where we see where there's change, where there's hopefully growth mm -hmm. in the individual constructs that are measured, resilience, confidence, et cetera. Yeah. And that's a little bit about Connect You. And we're so looking forward to our end of year SEL assessment coming up because I already know phenomenologically just through subjective observation of the students that I've, I've had the pleasure of, of leading through this, this six-week program a few times now this past year. Um, I've seen their, their growth. I've seen their, their energy levels expand when they see how this growth theory works in their lives right? Mm. How fun it can be to observe your own progress, right? How fulfilling it can be to set a collaborative goal and work together with someone to, as we, we know that working uh, for an organization or for a purpose that is larger than yourself is one of those um, sort of, uh, what do I want to call it? The treasures of, of the, the psycho psychology realm. When we talk about happiness theory, we know that when a person gets to contribute to uh, something larger than themselves, that's when they're at their absolute best in terms of the neurochemistry of happiness. And my students have been given the opportunity to do just that, right? It's, it's, not, it's, it's a weird thing for me looking back that the only planning that was ever encouraged in my life as a student was... That first day of school in grade nine where they handed me my, my planner with all the advertisements for local restaurants and the, you know, I'm supposed to write my homework down at the end of every class. There was no follow-up. There was no reflection. There was no, um, no real motivation, external at least, external motivation for me to use that planner. And then uh, about three and a half years later, 
um, we were made to go to a few university um, introductions, university seminars, and to plan our, our university life. That was it, uh, right? Yeah. And now, uh, again, having learned so much going through these these CU Smart uh, lessons with our, our cohorts of students, I'm I'm now thinking that personal planning, planning strategies, goal theory, of right ought to be. Uh, a full course, a full field of study in, in education, because the benefits are, are expansive. And it is in some cases, by mm. the way. So if we look at ministries of education, at least in North America and elsewhere, by the way, but primarily I've seen it in North America, at some point or another, depending on the grade level and the school district or whether it's an international or an international baccalaureate or a private school at some point students are required to learn how to create and achieve their academic and personal goals and so the connect you program does align with that you know that requirement or that standard mm -hmm. as we say and so yes we completely agree students should be required to learn goal setting at as soon as they get into high school, even middle school, yes. even in, in elementary school. However, it's as we see it, um, it, it is much more prevalent in education uh, beginning in the middle school um, grades. We don't see it as much in the elementary. Would be great to do an, an elementary version of the Connect You program, mm -hmm. by the way, but that's a, that's a long-term project and I digress. But yes, we completely see it in the same way, you and I, and you know based on all the research and there's numerous research papers done on goal theory and its effectiveness on academic performance and student growth we know that students should be you know doing this more uh, more regularly and it should be mandated and it should be a standard for for all grades mm -hmm. yeah it's so intuitive i mean even just looking at those those constructs again and talking about those three c's that uh the business world especially is looking for in new employees uh, accountability partners is is something that maybe doesn't come natural to a lot of students but is such an important yeah. way to develop uh, not just relationships themselves but an appreciation for how a trusting close relationship can contribute positively to the personal development of an authentic self yeah well said i i, I com we completely agree and uh and just to go back to your point about um, goal theory or teaching goal setting in, in classrooms, based on what we've read through Castle, uh, through Castle's research, they specifically detail that the core five or five core uh, frameworks, uh, which we discussed earlier, you know, self-awareness skills, responsible decision-making, social awareness, et cetera. In order for that to happen, Goal setting is a fundamental part of social emotional learning. And so it kind of boggles the mind when I see these SEL programs that come out that don't integrate goal setting in some capacity. And so that's something that we were very aware of. And one of the reasons why we you know, designed the program the way that we did is because we know how important it is based on Castle's research and based on goal theory uh, research. And so it makes you know, perfect sense to the Connect You program to deliver this product in this way. The learning outcomes really help their stu or our students to, uh, to develop 
you know, those soft skills that we are thriving to improve. Yeah. Um, it, it's been interesting as an educator, my, my interests have tended more and more towards this world of especially positive psychology, but really all psychology, cognitive, behavioral, um, et cetera. And you see this, this space expanding, especially online, the, the YouTube community and the Instagram community dedicated to disseminating a lot of this, uh, this information, which I think probably wasn't available to most educators even 15, 20 years ago. Um, and there's, there's, there's a lot of buzzwords out there. There's maybe even some cliches that are beginning to form, but, um, goal theory, positive psychology, um, stoicism, mindfulness, uh, different frameworks for journal reflection, et cetera, are, are just invading and in, in the most positive way are, are infiltrating so many different aspects of the education life because we're seeing how powerful it can be, um, again, in the development of resilience and authenticity in students. One thing that, that really stood out to me and has become increasingly fascinating to me in the Connect You, See You Smart program is that these students uh, design goals within, I believe it's seven different, what we might call goal vectors or, or health vectors, including things, as you mentioned, community, um, financial, uh, physical health, behavior, etc. cetera. Um, and with, then within each of those goal categories, uh, they are encouraged to set as many progress markers as possible between their current state and the eventual achieved goal, which does have to have a, a sort of a finish line, a, 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 a finish date. It has to be clear in their minds. But th- this obviously seems, first of all, like a very stoic exercise. It encourages a, a zooming out on one's life and sort of in the midst of the chaos of the day, a pulling away from your, your moment-by-moment emotions and a real assessment of what is good for me, what am I most naturally drawn to or talented at, what is going to be most helpful to the world around me, and then zooming back in and seeing what that might look like in the day-to-day life of a student. Um, what's going on there? Why is, it, why is it so helpful and motivating to see these progress markers? Why can't a student just say, I'm going to run a marathon uh, June 2nd of 2023? So first of all, the, it's a great question that connect you program is a metacognitive process, right? So thinking about thinking and giving time and building time into the program for reflection, both in class and with the goal buddy and, and student as well, so that a student can look back and think about what, goal they've created and whether they should change or um, modify in some way their action items that will help them uh, achieve those goals. We have to have a start and a finish line to every goal that we create. And we build action items to get us towards the completion and achievement of that goal. If we didn't have an end date, a finish line, we wouldn't know when we've actually achieved what we're setting out to do. So that's why Goals have to be timely, part of the acronym, specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and timely. So we know there's a start and there's a finish. And in order for us to achieve that goal, we need to figure out small steps of how to get there. And those are the action items. If we are late on completing an action item, or we, so we've missed the, either you've missed the deadline or you, you didn't complete it, you couldn't complete it, then the metacognitive 
process is reflection. It's looking back and thinking, okay, if I didn't make the or complete this action item on this particular date, why not? Was it because that the action item was unrealistic? Was I taking on too much? Did I need more time to complete that action item? Maybe the goal itself needs to be revisited. So there's points of reflection where that are built into the program where students are looking back at what they've created, just like after you write a report in university or in high school, the next day you're supposed to take a look at it and say, okay, should I make any changes before I submit it? Let me read through it one more time. And then, you know, if I have to make edits, I'll make my edits and then I'll submit. It's the same thing with goal setting. So create a goal the next day, look at it one more time and then decide, okay, this is good or change it. And then every time you create an action item, within a few hours after you've accomplished that action item, you should actually just take a moment to reflect and think, okay, is there any way I could have improved on that? Could I have done it faster? Could it have been more challenging? Should it have been different? And then again, when you achieve your goal the next day, look back and say, ask yourself, is there anything else that I could have done differently that would have given me an even better result? Or is there something I can do differently so that the next time I do this or I have to achieve this goal, I can achieve it more efficiently, more effectively, I can be more productive or I can achieve more. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this process is a huge part of why students are developing uh, cognitive skills. You know, going through this metacognitive process is how our students are one, aligning themselves to ensure that there's a start and a finish and where through that process, according to goal theory, uh, students will actually understand how they've reached the goal and, or better understand how they've reached the goal and how they can improve on that the next time. It's a, uh, it, it's a wonderful process for students to go through. It, it's not hard to understand why it's such a wonderful process, this metacognitive training. Um, when you were talking there, I was thinking back on my own education experience, and I, I remember especially a single professor that I had in university, and, and I, I won't shout them out because they were I actually gained quite a bit from them in their classes, a wonderful lecturer. But this particular professor told us explicitly near the end of term, I will not be writing comments on your um, final essays or exams. And all of, you know, a little grumble in the audience, oh, why not, why not? Um, because none of you are ever going to read them, right? This is this was the <laughs> professor's rationale. And you look back, and how many times has it been true for, for myself, perhaps for, for others out there, that the essay is due or the assignment is due, uh, sometimes it gets done the, the, the night immediately before it's due, there's almost no editing process, very little reflection. It gets handed in with a huge sigh of relief and then is almost immediately forgotten such that when, when you do receive it back a week or two later, you're almost surprised and you have to think, what? oh yeah, I remember this. I remember handing this in. And maybe, you know, I'm thinking about myself as a 15, 16 year old, maybe I looked at the mark at the top of the page, but uh, I, I don't recall spending a whole lot of time going through the actual essay itself and seeing all the different pieces that, that the teacher encouraged me to reflect on. I wasn't motivated yeah. to do so. I, I couldn't have told you what metacognition was at the time. That's somewhat unsurprising. But I think it wouldn't have taken much to explain to me why a bit of training in that area would be really, really helpful. Because they're just... You know, I, I wonder if it, it would have been beneficial for a teacher to explain 
the process of metacognition or actually engage in an activity or uh, an academic approach that would uh, elicit a metacognitive process unbeknownst to the student, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's where I think it's it's one of the advantages of the Connect You program. Students don't understand, I don't think, that, that this is a metacognitive process. Right. Most of our students don't know the word. They don't understand yet, or maybe they do, and I'm, a, I'm unaware of it. But because we're you know, creating the space for that to occur just instinctively. I think that's where there's, um, there's a one, that's a, one of the added values, if you will, to, to the connect you program. Hmm. So rather than, you know, rather than tell me, show me yeah, and I'll do. Yeah. And that's exactly how it's worked uh, for us here. Um, another early experience I had with you was on another webinar, this one with one of your colleagues, uh, Dr. Richard Feinstein, uh, who I believe... Feenstra. Richard Feenstra. Pardon me. Um, Dr. Richard Feenstra. And this is an education psychologist. I'll I'll let you kind of talk a little bit about your collaboration with him. But the webinar itself focused on um, fixed versus growth mindset. And since being introduced to those terms and and doing a little bit of my own uh, research in that area, I see how much of your approach um, in all all things, but especially the Connect You approach, is informed by an appreciation for the growth mindset. Can you just talk a little bit about, first of all, the definition of those two different mindsets? I think it'll be easy enough to see how they sure. uh, fit into this this the larger conversation, and then maybe also talk about how uh, that's played a role in the development of Connect You's approach. Absolutely. So during our research, we learned about. Dr. Carol Dweck, who is a renowned psychologist, child psychologist, who coined the term growth mindset or growth versus fixed mindset. And the the power of what these mindsets can accomplish. So when we look at a fixed mindset, that being someone who believes that intrinsically certain traits are fixed, like your ability to perform an activity or a sport or to learn to grow your you know your intelligence someone with a fixed mindset will believe that i'm born this way this is the way it is i'm not going to change i'm not going to develop i'm unable to increase my ability to for example shoot basketballs consistently at you know three pointers uh, I'm not going to be able to grow my intelligence. I'm never going to be smart enough. That's a fixed mindset where the antithesis, the growth mindset says the student or individual has the ability to grow their intelligence, to improve on any skills and skills can be developed over time with patience and practice mm-hmm. and consistency. And if we look at being open-minded or having a growth mindset to whatever those possibilities are, then the world is our oyster. And so that's in a nutshell, what fixed versus growth mindset is about. Connect You program integrates mindset theory, Dr. Carol Dweck's theory into much of our uh, curriculum and our educational psychologist, Dr. Richard Feenstra, um, and I, we, when we were designing our curriculum, 
we were very careful to ensure that one, we were using a lot of the parameters around growth mindset into the program itself. And we actually specifically do a module on fixed versus growth mindset in the curriculum mm-hmm. to ensure that not only are we um, using the theory in a very um, clandestine way, if you will, through, you know, kind of mixed into the, you know, the curriculum itself, but we had a very specific module that puts a big emphasis on that. Uh, and even a, a 2D animated video for students so that they understood um, in a fun way what growth versus fixed mindset is and how impactful it could potentially be. Mm-hmm. And if anyone is uh, interested in learning uh, more about it, I highly recommend um, Carol Dweck's book. I think it's called Growth versus Fixed Mindset or Mindset. I don't remember specifically. She has a few books. I highly recommend it. It's a great read and uh, very insightful. Such so shout-outs to Carol Dweck, and again, apologies to Dr. Richard Feenstra for, for misnaming him, but uh, shout-outs to both of them for the work they're doing with Growth and Fixed Mindset. As, as no you problem. Said, I, I, know, I know Rich, and I think he'll, he'll, he'll accept that apology. Okay, good. Yeah. Sorry, Doc. Um, <laughs> really loved your webinar. Thank you very much uh, in retrospect. Um, as you said, with the metacognition, it's, uh, it is a bit of a clandestine operation. Uh, the students don't know necessarily that they're learning, uh, how important yeah. this stuff is in their life, but they are learning it. And then when we get to that lesson where you specifically address fixed versus growth mindset, I've seen these students have this kind of like aha moment where they say, oh, this is what's going on with me. Um, and, and it's important to recognize, I think for, from sort of a, a high level, um, ed psych perspective that neurogenesis, the idea that the brain can continue to grow, that we can develop new uh, neurons, new, new ner- uh, brain cells, and new connections between different areas of our brain uh, yeah. is quite recent. You're referring to the neuroplasticity. Correct. Yeah. Neuroplasticity. Right. So ne- neuroplasticity exactly is that. It's like our, our brain is it's kind of like a muscle. It can, it can grow. Right? Mm-hmm. It can develop those pathways after repeat performances of whatever it is that we're doing all of a sudden it becomes um, almost innate right and that's where um so i give you an example so it's interesting that you bring this up so i when i first learned about neuroplasticity and growth mindset I, i took a piece of paper and a pen and i wrote out i can write with my left hand but i'm a righty and i did it and i and i the first time i wrote it it was like looking at a doctor's prescription, right? I couldn't understand what it was, Mm -hmm. but I kept writing it over and over. And about the eighth or 10th time, all of a sudden it started to flow. It became much easier. It wasn't so contrived, the Mm -hmm. writing, and it was a lot more eligible, right? So over time, you know, we can grow and we can develop. And that I think is the big picture when we look at growth mindset and we, impart that theory to students in a clandestine way in in part and in others very directly to really have them have that experience to see that oh i can grow i don't have to be a fixed mindset individual i can be a growth mindset individual yeah it's a choice and scholarship and scientific discoveries around neuroplasticity are really quite recent. So again, another reason to be excited about our current moment in education is that you can kind of see how when our systems were were in their developmental stages, kind of late industrial revolution, uh, 100 plus years ago, these, a lot of the underlying assumptions were that intelligence and abilities and talents are largely fixed. 
and that there mm. are some people who are good at some things and some people who, are, who have a high IQ, for example, and others who just don't. And so we had these very rigid assessment standards to discover exactly where you are fixed in these different areas. Mm. You adopt a growth mindset or a, gr a, a growth mindset approach to education, and you stop paying so much attention to results, you start paying attention to processes. And you start rewarding students, not for their, their end product, but for the process that saw them got there. Recognizing that they're all starting in different places, but that the most important thing that that student can develop is an appreciation and a confidence in their own neuroplasticity. And then, so now you're talking about. Sorry to cut you off, Mike. Now you're right. talking about the power of praise. Mm -hmm. right? So we praise students for their effort, not the outcome, because we want to be able to empower our students to know that their work is recognized. Their work has value. Right. So what we're doing as educators now is we're, we're praising our students for all the back end time that students are putting into whatever the project is or whatever they're studying or whatever they're writing so that they can feel a sense of accomplishment, even if they got a D. All right, maybe you, you, you got a D or a C or whatever, a 60 percent on your paper or on your exam or on your quiz, on your test. But if we can acknowledge the effort that went into that, we encourage our students to think, okay, I, I didn't do it yet, mm -hmm. but I, but I can. That's the also called the power of yet. Uh, so, you know, you you bring this up, and I, I think it's really important for families and and for parents and teachers, educators to understand the importance of praise and how we, if if we're consistent about it, if we're praising our students, our, our, our children for the effort that they're putting forward rather than how it all, all ended up, then we're really encouraging that growth mindset and giving them more opportunity to, uh, to see for themselves that they have the potential. Yeah. We can't say this stuff loud enough, um, and, mm -hmm. and we hope that there are parents and educators out there who take this as an encouragement to, to really begin putting a lot more of your focus on the, the as you say, the, the back end stuff, the process stuff, because your intellectual life does not end at 20 or 25, right? That's, you don't just get those years of school and then whatever you are, you are, right? Life is very long in many cases. And if you can develop an appreciation for your process, if you can witness neuroplasticity taking place in your own life and see those gradual improvements in writing with your left hand or being socially competent and confident, right? Being able to go into a business meeting and, and uh, deliver a, a speech without having to go yeah. through a, a, you know, an anxiety circus ahead of time um, and recognizing how fundamental things like good sleep, good food, good exercise, good friends, good community play such a massive role in the development of new gray matter, new ideas, yeah. new abilities in, in your mind. I mean, you're, you're a, a wonderful example of that in your own personal life. Never stop learning. My late father, uh, by the way, it's his birthday today. Happy birthday, dad, wherever you are. Happy he birthday. always used to say that you should you know, seek adventure, but also seek to keep your brain active and never stop learning because that's where there's so much opportunity that you, you may have never had before. My mom went back to school at 60 years old, I think. Uh, she studied, she got her degree in social work. Wow. 
a prime example of never stop learning. My father went back to school to McGill music department to study music. And as a result, very long story short, he ended up creating 26 different uh, presentations on different music artists, groups like the Beatles and um, uh, Frank Sinatra and um, anyways, doesn't matter who it was, but these presentations were done on cruise ships all around the world. So him and my mother traveled on cruise ships because my father always believed that you should never stop learning. And he went back to school because my mother went back to school. And as a result, they traveled the world together and he did something that he was extremely passionate about. And as a matter of fact, on his tombstone, it says the music man. <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, yeah. so two lifelong learners as parents. And then uh, we get, uh, Mr. Dove Shapiro coming out with connect you coincidence. I, think not. <laughs> That's um, funny. I mean, I, I, I can only echo the sentiments. My, my parents have also been wonderful demonstrations of what it means to be a lifelong learner. Mom's in the, in the process of, uh, becoming a carpenter. She's, she's, uh, just started building her own furniture in her retirement. And the two of them are in, in, uh, I think they're going to spend the rest of their lives building, uh, a rural homestead for themselves and learning Very all cool. the, yeah, it was, it was a, a trip seeing my Very dad on a tractor for the first time having, having grown up in the, in the suburbs and having really only seen him, uh, uh, you know, on the soccer pitch or the football field, I didn't even know he knew how to drive a tractor, but you're yeah. never too old to learn something. That's, new. It. That's <laughs> it. It's a wonderful inspiration. Um, I want to throw one last question at you and, and then we'll get you out of here. Sure. Let's look ahead 10 years in the future. Um, all of these trends that, that we've talked about, uh, continuing or, or perhaps not, um, the ed tech sector, the influence of, of things like positive psychology and, and goal theory uh, on education. Ten years from now, what's, what is our education climate? How do, you, how do you see maybe even how Connect You will look in ten years and how programs like that might be interacting with, uh, with education at large? Well, if I, it's a great question. I and, mean, of course, it's, I don't have the magic wand, but you know, based on what we're reading in the ed tech space and its growth and everything about positive psychology and its influence on pedagogical approaches and curriculum reform, it's growing and it's going to become more prevalent than it is now. And it's going to become a key factor in helping our students build the essential life learning skills that they need in order to maintain a very healthy level of well-being. And integrating these technologies and using positive psychology within the framework of ed tech is helping students now and will continue to help them, uh, you know, gain the confidence and uh, lower their anxiety and help them deal and cope with stress. And that's really what education is focusing on now more than ever. There's less focus on getting great grades because our student mental health is being challenged mm -hmm. and we're in a crisis. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an epidemic. The mental health care crisis or mental health issues amongst our adolescents and our youth is a huge crisis. Unfortunately, based on what we're hearing and the educators and mental health care professionals that we work with, we haven't seen the worst of it yet. Uh, just imagine, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder of some type mm -hmm. in years to come. The, the forecast is that 
the mental health care crisis will continue to worsen before it improves. And in part, uh, we'll see an increase in mental health care practitioners in the school systems, uh, more mental health care workers coming into the, the field of health care. Um, so that's something that we we forecast and it, it's it's already a trend. Um, I think ConnectU will be a huge part of this particular uh, movement uh, globally. Mm -hmm. We're working with schools around the world to uh, you know, integrate our program for the purpose of improving well-being. And I, I see a lot of organizations doing something uh, very similar. I also see myself continuing to uh, to push the importance of uh, of this kind of education of social emotional learning, and uh, Connect You is also uh, growing in the coming years to uh, create a few different uh, platforms or versions of the platform, I should say. One is uh, a full e-learning solution where instead of the teacher teaching it, it's taught on a, an app on a phone. Uh, I also see that our community service programs, which align with the UN 17 Sustainable Development Goals, will flourish. And, you know, part of our what really gets me going or my juice is also how community service goals, if designed and run collaboratively in classrooms between teachers and their students to impact their local communities, that's where we're going to make a you know, a huge dent into the various uh, development goals by the UN, such as, you know, reducing our uh, reliability or our reliance on fossil fuels, improving our, um, our levels of our, our uh, 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 poverty, sorry, I'm, I'm not thinking straight, and, um, and, and many others. Mm -hmm. So I see ConnectU eventually uh, getting to the point where our community service goals are really making an impact, uh, not just in the school community, but the community adjacent and communities around the world. Long may that continue. Um, uh, listening just uh, to even to the second half of what you were saying there, I think often of, of ripple effects. Um, we know, for example, that uh, trauma is generational. Uh, mm. depression, anxiety, these things are, are traumatic and they can have that ripple effect for years and years to come. They can affect the family around and the community around. Likewise, um, empathy, social competence, resilience, uh, self-actualization have ripple effects. And I mean, as educators, as parents, as, as administrators, we need to get our priorities right here because as you say, we are in an epidemic and we are not in education, we should not be attempting to produce good test takers or good rule followers. We're trying to produce healthy people who can take care of themselves, eventually be a pillar for their immediate family, and then extend that influence, that positive ripple effect, out into the community around them. All right, this has to be our priority. So if you're, a, if you're a teacher or a student out there, if you're a parent or an administrator in education, and if some of the things we've talked about today uh, have, have interested you, have, have uh, you know, pricked your ears up, there are so many more resources available today than there ever have been to get your hands dirty and start understanding uh, education psychology, child development, growth theory, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, approaches to trauma, 
uh, the, the nature causes and mechanisms of, of mental health, both its negative and positive outcomes, et cetera, et cetera. It really is a, a world that you can jump into and find endless actionable uh, knowledge and resources. And we just encourage uh, everybody to do so. It can only make our situation better because the situation is serious, right? Very well said. Thanks for sharing that. I, that really resonates with me as well. Well, right. Dove, as, as ever, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Uh, I hope we Same get many here. more chances uh, to do this in the future. And I will, of course, be uh, in contact with you with our final assessment data um, from, our, from our student SEL assessments in the coming week. But uh, any final words for the listeners at home? I think you said it really well in the last sentence when you shared your idea of do the research, go check out the resources. There's a plethora of them out there that can really make an impact. And the more educators do that and embrace the positive psychology resources that are out there, we can make more of an impact on our students today and, uh, and tomorrow. Amen. Uh, students, your word for the day is metacognition. You want to impress your friends and teachers, metacognition. Thanks for listening out there. We'll be back again next week with another episode of the Braemar Life Skills Academy. Thank you especially to Mr. Dove Shapiro and the Connect You program. All the best out there, folks. Join us for our next episode of the Braemar Life Skills Academy, where I'll be speaking with Miss Jessica Paul, who will help me to recap the programs and activities going on at Braemar College.